I've told you a lot of stories about uh, a bad dog that I used to have, um, but I don't think I've told you enough stories about a good one. I had the, uh, one of the best dogs ever. Her name was Gracie. She was a Springer Spaniel, and um, she was just smart, and she had a real desire to, to please you. Uh, I, I had a lot of arrogance uh, at that time, nothing like I am now. And uh, I used to take great pride that I could walk her without a leash, and people with other dogs would, you know, be doing whatever they could to, to hold their dog back. And I would just say, Gracie, heel. And she would sit right, if you come in, she would sit at my uh, foot until the uh, other dogs had gotten under control. And uh, I looked down upon them, and they all envied me. Um, but one day I came home uh, from work, and I found a big pile of um, Hersey's Kisses wrappers. And um, I looked, and Gracie was sitting there with the most innocent look on her face. And she had chocolate all around her mouth. And uh, I called the vet because I'd heard that was a bad thing for dogs. And I called the vet, and he said, yeah. I said, is it true that's bad? She goes, yeah, this is what you need to do. You need to get uh, two tablespoons of, of peroxide and pour it down her throat. And then she'll throw up whatever she has. And so, you know, I got her, called her to me. She's so sweet. Gracie Heal comes to me. I pick her up. She's looking at me so excitedly waiting for a treat. And I pour peroxide down her mouth. And I close her mouth up and rub her throat so she has to swallow it. And then when she, I feel her swallow, I let go because I don't want to be there for what's about to happen. And she looks at me. She starts heaving and she looks up at me with this look of, how dare you? Why would you do this to me? And I think a lot about that. I think I remember that, like just thinking, if you were my pet, if you were Gracie, right, and you had no idea why you had just been so betrayed as to think that you were going to get a treat and get peroxide forced down your throat. And she had no, there's no way I can explain. Now, Gracie, let me explain that you're going to die if I don't do this. Like, there is no way. She just has to trust me. I think our relationship with God is a lot like that sometimes. He just does things, and, and we're just like, why? Why in the world would you do that to me and not to someone else? Why? I, one day, I, uh, Jonathan had preached. This is, you got to put all this together to exp- understand the irony of it. Um, there's a church in Oklahoma City trying to raise money to get into a building. We're trying to raise money to get into this building. Church in Oklahoma City gets a $300,000 check from a very generous donor in Fort Worth that I had also reached out to. And uh, I had put together, you know, a, a plan and, and sent it to him through his pastor. And uh, actually, the guys in Oklahoma City didn't do any of that. And Jonathan preached one Sunday about the... Uh, about the landowner, the, well, the landowner sends people out to work in his, uh, in his, on his fields, you know, and he sends some out at 6 in the morning and some at 9 and some at noon and some at 3. And he pays them all the same. And the people who had been there all day were mad. We worked all day out in the hot, hot sun. These people only worked for a couple of hours. Why are they getting what they're getting? And we're getting so much, le- you know, what we're getting. And, and he says... God says to him, it's my grace. I, it's my freedom to do with my stuff what I want to do. 
And he preached that on Sunday. On Monday, I get a letter in the mailbox that says, Sorry, Ricky, but this man's not going to give you anything. And I'm like, that's mean. And sorry, I was sarcastic. Why? I mean, I, you begin to think that God is sarcastic. Like, why would you make me hear that sermon one day before that? That's not fair. God does that sometimes. And we're like Gracie. We just have no idea. We have no understanding, no possibility of understanding why he would force peroxide down our throat. But we do understand, we can understand that he's good. And the mystery of faith is trusting God in that kind of darkness. It's trusting God when his actions seem so inscrutable. And that's what I want you to see this morning, that, that God can be trusted even when you just can't understand why. God can be trusted to bless his word. And his word accomplishes his purpose. Please stand as we see that from Acts chapter 12. A text I would encourage you to go home and read all of this uh, afternoon. It's really funny. Um, I, can't, I don't have time to read all of it, but I'll read some. Hear the word of the Lord. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that that pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now this was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him by God, to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter on the side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands and the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so and he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. And it opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the, from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And this is later. Now when Peter was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, he came, they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. And on one appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Thus far, the reading of God's Word it is more precious than gold, even much fine gold, and it is sweeter than honey that is straight from the honeycomb. 
You may be seated. Fascinating text. Uh, we have two of Jesus' 12 disciples mentioned. Peter, prayed for, miraculously escapes. James, arrested and killed. One verse, arrested and killed. Herod is trying to stamp out Christianity, stamp out. He, doesn't, he just doesn't want revolts. He do, they, don't want, uh, they, they, they don't want uprisings. They want calm and peace. That's what Rome wants. And, G, and Herod plans to do the same thing that Pilate had done with Jesus, right? At Passover, bring someone out, have all the people yell, crucify him, crucify him. Look how good of a king I am. I'm doing what you Jews want. I'll crucify Peter too. And, and Peter escapes miraculously. And James is killed. Isn't that fascinating? And I wonder, I wonder what John, the brother of James, it, it's a little confusing. I, I guess I need to go through the role because I, I, don't, I guess there weren't that many names back then. So in this text, you got two Jameses. You have James the Apostle and James the brother of Jesus. And Peter tells, you know, the, the people who are praying for him, go and tell James I'm free. And that could be confusing. Two different Jameses. James the brother of Jesus ends up being the, the leader of uh, the church in Jerusalem, wrote the book of James. Uh, James the Apostle is one of the first martyrs. His brother John writes the book of John, Revelation. First, second, third, John. Uh, and then you also have another John, whose mother's also named Mary, uh, and this one is John Mark, and that's the house where all the apostles, were, all the people were praying, right? This is the house where Peter comes to, and John Mark ends up being, um, he ends up going with Paul and Barnabas, uh, he gets afraid and comes back home and uh, kind of runs home to mom, and, and Paul uh, gets really mad at him about that, but Barnabas uh, hangs in there with him, and Mark ends up becoming the apostle who writes uh, the book of Mark. Okay, so there's your scorecard. Now, James, uh, James dies, and John, I wonder, I wonder what that conversation between John and his mother was like. When all the mourners leave the house, and it's just them two, and, and I just have to think that John's mom looks at him and says, why? Why did God let this happen? Why does Peter escape and James get killed? Why, John? And I have to think that John looks at his mom and says, well, mom, you remember back in Mark chapter 11, you know, I wouldn't say it like that, but you remember back in Mark chapter 11 when James and I went to Jesus and asked if we could be one on his right and one on his left? And, and Jesus says, said to us, to do that, you're going to have to drink from the cup that I have to drink from. I think this might have been what he was talking about. And, Mom, you remember how dark it was, how desperate, how, how just terribly depressed and, and, dis, and despondent we were in those de days after Jesus was crucified, and we couldn't understand why, and, 
and we were just lost and we thought that all was lost until he came back from the dead and, and then he began to teach us that this is exactly what the Bible said had to happen for his people to be saved from death and sin. Do you remember that? I, I feel like that we're in those days again, Mom, where we have to, we, we don't understand why but we have to trust that there is a why. Just like we didn't understand it then, we don't understand it now. And mom, most importantly, don't you remember that Jesus came back and he was raised from the dead and he promised us that we would be too. And if we can trust his words, then we know that James will rise again one day and we will be with him. And there will be no more pain and no more suffering. Just like our friend Paul is going to write in about 15 years, in 1 Corinthians 15, Mom, that if, if our hope is for this life only, we are the most to be pitied. And guys, I want you to understand this. This is important. That is still true. If our Christian hope is for this life only, we are the most to be pitied. And I, and I say that with, with as much tenderness as I can muster because I know you and I've known you for a long time now. And some of you have walked through those lies and, and you're wondering, you know, why can't... Why couldn't I have a baby when, when so many people who don't even want babies seem to be having them? And why can't why did my marriage end in divorce when so many bad people seem to have good marriages? And knuckleheads like Ricky, you're still married. And, and why, why did I have to go through that loneliness? And why did I have to bury these people that I love and other people don't? It's not so much that we have to go through it. It's that other people don't. And, and I get it. And, and I just, with everything within me, I want you to understand, if your hope, and most people have sunk to this level, most Christians that we know, most of the stuff that we hear about when, when we, you know, somebody's going to give glory to God for winning the Super Bowl today, and, uh, you know, we just don't know who God's for yet, but we'll find out in about 10 hours. And, and, and it's silly, but it's true. We have reduced Christianity to being something that gives us hope for this life only. And if it's true that our only hope is for this life only, we are the most to be pitied. Because it, it was never intended that way. And James is going to rise again. And your brothers and your sisters are going to rise again. And they're going to rise without their pain and without their struggles and without their sadness. And in a strange way, you're going to look at their early demise almost as a blessing. As you see all the pain they didn't have to live through. That day is coming. That day is coming. God can be trusted even in the, in the midst of, 
of the great unanswerable questions. And, and all around us, we, we see people who have lost their faith or are in the process of losing their faith because their faith was for this world only. And, and our, our ministry to them is to raise their eyes and to remind them of the resurrection and remind them of the, the full arc of God's plan to redeem this earth one piece at a time through His Word. So we can trust God to be doing His Word, to be faithful, even in great darkness. The first thing I want you to see is that the freedom of God is, is infuriating. <laughs> he does as He will. But the second thing I want you to see is that God's people remain faithful. We faithfully pray, we faithfully wait on Him, even though His freedom is infuriating, and even though our faith is weak and sometimes just plumb silly. This is a great story, Okay. Everybody's gathered together having a prayer meeting, man. They're, they're just they're clenching their fingers and they're shaking their shoulders and they're begging God to save Peter and not a single one of them believes it's going to happen. Not one. Not even Peter. Peter's there praying for God to save him, not believing it's going to happen. An angel comes, kicks Peter. Hey, wake up. Okay, I must be having a vision. My vision kicked me. Wakes up. His, his chains fall off. He walks out of the prison, walks out of the city. The gates open up, and the angel goes, all right, bye, and takes off. And Peter comes to himself and goes, wait, this is real. He didn't believe it was going to happen. He goes back to the, to the house where he know, knows people are praying for him, the house of, of John Mark. And he knocks on the door, and a servant girl named, named Rhoda comes to the door and opens the, the window and says, who is it? He goes, It's Peter. You can't be Peter. Peter's in prison. No, really, I'm Peter. Wow. She leaves him outside, runs back to the people in the house. I saw Peter. You didn't see Peter. Peter's in prison. You saw Peter's ghost. No, really, it's Peter. Well, if it's Peter, go let him in. Peter's still knocking. They go and open the door, and they're amazed. Not a single one of them really believed God was going to do what they were asking. Not one. And God did it anyway. Isn't that great news? Isn't that great news? Man, if God only answered the prayers that we really believed he was going to answer, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be doing too well. But he, he's there and he's faithful. And he answers the prayers. And, and, and we, see, we see all kinds of things in this text that are important. One is that... Yes, even the early first century Christians knew the difference between a vision and a person. They knew the difference. Now, they thought Peter was a vision. They thought it was an angel. And then they find him, and he's like, oh, no, it's actually a person. Why is that important? Because the bodily resurrection is true. They did not have visions of Jesus. They ate meals with him. They knew the difference between a vision and a person. But also, it's important to see that they, even though they didn't really believe it, they kept praying. And that's what we do. Even though we don't really believe God's going to do something, even though we've gotten tired of waiting, even though it's taken years and, and sometimes decades for Him to, to deliver on what we're praying for, we keep praying for our children. We keep praying 
for our family. We keep praying for unbelievers that we love. We keep praying for, for situations in, in the world, whether it be uh, oppression or disease, that we keep praying for God to heal. Even though our faith is weak and sometimes silly, we don't stop praying because God answers our prayers. Because God answers our prayers. And everything ma- and they all matter. Prayer is a great mystery to us. We don't really understand. Basically, we tend to think of prayer like it's twisting God's arm to do things He doesn't want to do. Because we kind of have a, I don't know, a mechanistic view of the world where it's just God, like it's just us and God. And that's not true. There, the power. If you believe the, if you read the Bible at all then you understand that, that Satan and death and the powers of evil are very real. And somehow our prayers, weak, strong, believing, unbelieving, somehow they all matter. And God uses them. And they're important. And so we keep praying. And we keep believing trusting that God is going to bless his word. And that's the final thing we see in this text, that the word of God keeps growing and keeps bearing fruit, right? You have three stories in this text. You have the story of Herod and James, and Herod kills James. You have the story of Herod and Peter, and Herod loses Peter. And then you just have the story of Herod. Herod's the king. He is has uncontrollable power. He can do whatever he wants. And he loves making entire nations grovel at his feet, right? And so he's got these, these, these princes from Tyre and Sidon, and they've come, and they're, they're groveling at his feet. Please give us food. Please don't be mad at us. Please give us our food for this year. And he puts on this royal robe, and, and we're told by Josephus or Eusebius one I can't remember, the, the robe has, um, has little pieces of silver all up and down it so that when the sun strikes the robe, it, it seems to emit light. And he puts on his royal robe, and he goes and he all, or, delivers this great oration, just making people grovel. And they're all looking up at him, praising him. Oh, you're a god. You're not a man. You're a god. And at that point, he falls over sick. And he had gotten parasites somewhere along the way, and the worms just ate him up, and he died. Herod, at the moment of his greatest power, when he was really feeling it, he breathes his last, but not the Word of God. Verse 24, the Word of God increased and multiplied. The Word of God just kept doing what God sent it to do. And that's, that's an interesting passage, and I want you to think about this verse. It increased and multiplied. Now, what does that remind you of? The original creation mandate, when God created Adam and Eve, he said to them, increase and multiply. Take dominion over the earth. And they didn't. Instead, sin took dominion over the earth. 
Instead, briars and thorns and thistles took control over the earth. But God prophesies in Isaiah 55 that there's coming a day when my word will take it back. And instead of producing briars and thorns and thistles, my word's going to bring life and it's going to bring hope. And we see in this passage that that day has come. It's come. We get the pleasure, the joy of living 2,000 years later and worshiping with other believers thousands of miles away from where Christianity started because the Word of God is fertile and it's bringing life and it's bringing hope and it's bringing joy. It's already happening. It's continuing to happen. It's never going to stop happening. God's Word is fulfilling this mandate. It is cultivating the earth. It is taking dominion over the earth. It's God's Word that does that. And He is doing it. And we have to remember that we... We get to be part of it, but it's God's Word that does the work. God is at work, and it's still going on. And despite Herod, despite Herod killing James, despite Herod, when all of his glory, he breathes his last. But the Word of God lives on. In the 19... 50s, 19, no, I'm sorry, this is the 1980s. 1980s, uh, 20 years after the revolution in Cuba, Fidel Castro stands up uh, to the Pope. And he says to the Pope, he says in front of the, the crowds that had gathered there to hear the Pope, he said, you can say whatever you want to, but the truth is these people don't need Jesus. The revolution has given them everything they need. And the Pope stood up and said, Jesus was here thousands of years before that revolution, and he'll be here long after you're gone. Four years ago, we, uh, some friends and I went to Cuba, and we smuggled in Bibles. We didn't smuggle them in. We brought them in through the airport. We, uh, he, we brought ten apiece. That's the most you could bring. And um, Evie was in the hotel one day, and she hears these maids all excited, excitedly talking. And she turns around the corner, and one of the maids had found one of the Bibles. And she was, she was, she was showing it to the other maids. And Evie went and got the rest of the Bibles that she had brought and gave them to them. And, and they started crying, and they were hugging their Bibles. That was four years after Castro had died. But the Word of God is still bearing fruit. The Word of God still bearing fruit. And, and, nation, and, and, and nations and people here still bearing fruit. It just keeps going and quietly going and quietly going. Back in the 60s, there was a, uh, an evangelist from Indiana named David Wilkerson. And he goes to Times Square, where just the most violent and decadent sinners were. And he starts preaching the gospel. And he tries to... He tries to make inroads in a in a Puerto Rican gang, and they don't want any. And they're violent, and they don't want anything to do with him. And he corners one of them one day, and uh, and a kid named Nicky Cruz looked at, pulled out a switchblade, and he said, "If you don't leave me alone, I will kill you." And David looked at him and said, "You can cut me into a thousand pieces. Every one of those pieces is still going to love you." And Nicky had never been told he was loved before. 
And he came to hear David preach that night, and not many nights later, he gave his life to Christ. And he actually uh, became an evangelist himself, and he did smaller tours. He was no no Billy Graham, but he did smaller tours. And uh, the, the gang he was a member of, his, he was a leader of before his conversion, was called the Mau Mau's. And they had two M's together and shared the kind of the middle leg of the M. And uh, my brother's name was Mark Maddox, and he thought that was so cool. And so he signed his name like that, you know, two M's. And so he heard Nicky Cruz was in town. Oh, it wasn't interesting. But in the nearest medium-sized city, Jackson. So he got mom to take him to Jackson one night and listen to Nicky Cruz preach. And he was converted, and he... Um, began to follow Christ, and through his um, ministry, I began to follow Christ, and I'm here today, and the Word of God still grows, and it still accomplishes the purpose God wants it to accomplish, and you can trust it, even in the darkness, even when you have no idea, even when you feel like you've had peroxide forced down your throat. He may not do what you want him to do, but God is good. And there will come a day after your resurrection when you'll know that you could trust him. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that will, it all continues to increase and multiply. Thank you that we have had that seed in our hearts and that we can trust it. Father, we pray for our children and our Families and those who are far off who just have rejected your word, we pray that their wills, that their rejection, that their sin would be nothing compared to the power of the word of God. And that you would call them to yourself. And Father, we confess that oftentimes we get angry with you and we just don't understand why, why you do what you do or when you do what you do. Father, would you give us faith that you are good, that you who gave your Son can be trusted. It's in his name that we pray.